going on, everyone? Welcome back to Sweat and Grime. I'm your host, Brian, and on the phone yet again is Rick. Yeah, we got Rick on the phone. So uh, as you guys know from last week's episode, we are still working our way through COVID, unfortunately, so we are remote. Um, But good news, as of today, Rick and I both are out of quarantine. So that's always a good good thing. How was was quarantine for you, Rick? I was good, man. Uh, Besides just getting my ass handed to me uh, from the vid. It wasn't too bad. It was pretty peaceful. Uh, nobody wanted to come around. It was like a ghost town. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't I can't really say it was too bad. The first five days were a little rough. After that, the quarantine, I mean, drinking hot chocolate, watching TV, and not getting too far away from the fucking toilet. I mean, yeah, it wasn't too bad. Yeah. I, well, you, know? That's, you know, the funny thing is, is when COVID initially broke out and everyone was stuck in quarantine, everyone was bitching and complaining about it our family was like this is great like we don't have to go anywhere we can just hang out and take it easy like we legitimately enjoyed quarantine <laughs> so yeah so it was kind it of was a little peaceful, you know yeah it was a window was back into what life was during during the height of quarantine so it was nice but um but getting into today's topic so today's topic we wanted to talk about this was a request uh, off of my live stream over at diesel and iron on YouTube uh, was what does it take to start a company uh, and it was specifically a an earth moving business so we will talk about it from an earth moving perspective but at the same time a lot of what Rick and I are going to talk about today really applies to starting a business in general there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of the same concepts that apply across the board. And so Rick, why don't you kind of start us off with if someone's thinking about starting their own company, like what are some initial conversations you need to have with yourself to kind of prepare for that? Well, you gotta, I mean, you really just gotta think about what aspects and what kind of knowledge you have and skill set and the clientele that you want to target. You know, you gotta, you can't just, everybody wants to open a business and just say, ah, let's just open a business and be very broad. I mean, if you got, um, some pretty good skill set, you know, if you're doing concrete or dirt work, you know, are you vast knowledge in like septic fields or doing land balancing or just like the jack all trades, you'll just do anything to make a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks, like tree work. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that when you first get into business, like you start scrambling as you open your doors, trying to just do side hustle after side hustle. And right. You see a few hundred bucks there. So you just run over there and you grab that and you see a thousand dollars over there. So you run over there and grab that and you're kind of like this little hamster on the wheel, just running like crazy. You just, you see everything there, but then you got to start figuring out and dial in what am I really good at? What kind of help do I have? What kind of clientele am I looking for? And what do you enjoy? I yeah. mean, if you and I were out there pouring concrete every day, you wouldn't want to show back up to work with me tomorrow. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you really enjoy a lot of the heavy equipment side of it. And so do I, and I enjoy a lot of the labor side of it. So I do like more of the project sides of like, uh, tree removal to land balancing to landscaping septic fields. I like a vast majority cause I don't like to stay doing one thing. It's like monotonous. I get really bored, but that's what you got to kind of look at when you thinking about even wanting to start a business. I mean, you could, you could dabble with side projects and kind of feel and touch what you're getting into. So, um, then you got to also look at, um, how much is it going to cost up front? Can I rent machines, buy machines? Uh, do I have enough tools? Am I going to be renting a lot of tools or can I buy some tools at like a handyman shop or a garage sale to get started? Um, how accurate of a project am I going to be doing? I mean, are we going to be within a tenth or less where I need to spend a couple thousand dollars on a really high production laser? Um, or can I go to Home Depot and go buy the two ninety nine laser and it'll be close enough for a pad, Yeah, you know, like a garage footing. So <clears throat> there's a lot of costs up front that a lot of people don't see, but you got to also start 
thinking what you want to get into and where you want to start targeting. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. So um, to kind of back it up and, and kind of start from the get-go, let's say that you, uh, in fact, now that I'm kind of thinking through this conversation, let's, let's kind of go two possible routes of starting this business. The first route is uh, you've got, which is, which a lot of guys in the trades do, is you've got your side hustle that you're working and you're like, hey, this is like, I'm really starting to get some nice jobs. Like this could legit turn into a full-time gig for me. And so we're going to talk about it first of all, from pursuing it from the side hustle route that you want to convert over. And so the first thing is 100% what Rick is saying, before you make the commitment to leap, uh, you need to sit down and you need to do uh, an exercise where you think about who your customer is. Think about the ideal customer. And believe it or not, um, my wife and I back in the day did Beachbody. Are you familiar with that at, at all, Rick? Oh, yeah. The workout shit. Like, I, yeah, what happened? So Where's the, be where's the Beachbody at now? Yeah, exactly. It's hiding. It's in hiding. Uh, I did have you a Beachbody like for a, a while. Body. I did, yeah, yeah, like a dad body. I was now. looking pretty damn. And I will say this about the Beachbody experience. Like, we got some really positive things that came out of it. First of all, uh, my wife and I were healthier than we had been in probably our entire lives when we were doing it. Um, and then the second thing is uh, we really learned some solid uh, business things, some, some really good concepts when it comes to just owning a business, because at the end of the day, uh, all of those kind of MLM programs, like you, are, you run it like a little business. It is a business and no one's really looking out for you. And so, uh, one of the things that we did as, uh, as kind of a preparatory tool that, that I still to this day, go back to whenever I'm doing any of my own business things is we had to sit down and we kind of had to come up with who is, you know, give him a fake name, Bob. Here's Bob. And he is my ideal candidate for someone who's going to do Beachbody that I can recruit and, and bring in. And so, you know, for, for an MLM, obviously that's a, you know, a bunch of garbage. And by the way, for the record, I do want the record to show we would have been super successful at Beachbody and actually cranked out some serious cash. Had we gotten in about six months before we actually did, uh, because we hit it just as the curve started to die off. Um, but we were actually doing really well, except for the fact that it was on the back. But anyway, that's, I just had to throw that out there that we this, weren't total this failures. Is farthest, this is the total farthest conversation I ever heard away from excavating. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And Beach you know, body, but, guys. but you Beach know, this, body. this kind of goes into an overall theme of life. For anyone out there who thinks that, you know, you just got into the dirt world or you just got into a trade and you've been doing something else for most of your career and what a waste of fucking time that was. Uh, right. You learn a lot. You learn so many things. I started in the banking industry. I worked at Home Depot. I was the operations manager for a manufacturing company. I have got such a diverse background. We did the beach body thing for a little bit. Like we have done so many fucking things and Every single one of those, I can tell you a significant life lesson I learned from that portion of my life, of that portion of my career that directly applies to what I'm doing with diesel and iron productions. Like 100%, you do get experience that is applicable. So I do want to say that too. That's also another sound piece of business advice is just you know, don't write off any of your previous experiences because they absolutely do apply. So anyway, back to my, where I was kind of going with that is that is a really, really good exercise for someone who's wanting to start their own company is, you know, don't think about Bob, the ideal Beachbody customer. Instead, think of, okay, you know, here I am, I'm a framer. I, I do rough carpentry. Who is my ideal customer? It, am I going after a builder? And if so, what size builder? Are we talking a small custom Bad. home builder? Or are we talking going after the Pulteys? Are we talking about, you know, where is your niche in the market where you're really going, what are you shooting for for your customers? And then you need to think about, okay, do you want full full time round the, the year work? Or are we concentrating on seasonal work? And, you know, are we wanting to stay in the residential side of things? Or are we wanting to get into some commercial projects? Think about who your ideal customer is that you want to go after with your business. And I'm not talking just a thought process. I'm literally talking, you know, get a pen and paper or open up a Word document, literally write this down of Correct. what that customer looks like. And well, then and you got you to gotta look year round. 
Well, and, you know, you gotta and look, I'm not even around. talking, this isn't even like going out and looking for a customer. This is just, it is, it is going through the exercise of here is this fictitious business called, you know, my ideal client incorporated. And, you know, let's, let's do a, a quick thought exercise. So if, if Rick and I were to go out and restart Rick's business tomorrow, um, wh- what would your ideal client look like, Rick? Roughly, roughly how much would they make a year ballpark? My, my ideal client's going to be making anywhere from 200 plus thousand a year. Okay. So they're probably going to have, for. they're probably going to have a nicer car. Correct. Um, what would you say average square footage of their house would be for your ideal customer? Uh, right around, probably right around 2,500 square foot. Okay. You know, you want someone that I'm looking for somebody that they're making enough money, but they don't really want to spend time doing the work outside because it's going to take a lot of time and they, they dedicate so much time to work that the upkeep of this house and the projects that, that they want is going to be a little bit, actually a lot more than them rent equipment. Okay. Right. So that's kind of what I'm looking at right now is if I was going to start my business back over. All right. So we're probably going to narrow down to lawyers, doctors, uh, business professionals that are in like software uh, and kind of more techie uh, type positions. Um, So uh, family, you know, are these are these the type of people that have kids, or would you say you're probably steering more towards a, a couple who spends all of their money on themselves? A lot of a lot of our family, they got kids. You know, they got a lot of grandkids, a couple kids out of town, maybe a young family. Um, I'm looking for somebody that you know, whether they're country folk or city folk, more of the suburbs kind of and country. Yep. I'm not really into the big down city projects because then you're almost into a higher price point but i'm not i'm not going out to hillbilly bob's house looking at project there because he's more like time you give him price he'll go tell you to fuck yourself and you know they'll go rent some equipment and do it himself you know yeah so i don't want the guy with the dog and the cat and the cow all living in the same house you know okay so i mean there there's certain there's certain um categories that we're looking at here for um, price point wise. Okay. So that's kind of, that's kind of where the business starts out is, you know, you're, you're looking for that. You're shopping for a certain customer. So, yeah. So where I'm going with this is what we've just done. That was a little, what we spent 45 seconds to a minute on that, that little thought exercise. What we've done is we've put together this profile of Bob, the perfect customer for Rick. And, and Bob is probably a doctor or a lawyer, or possibly he's, you know, kind of mid to upper management at one of these tech firms. Uh, he's going to have a pretty good size house, 2,500 plus square feet. Uh, they're going to drive, you know, nicer vehicles, probably, you know, they don't necessarily have to be Lexuses and Mercedes Benz, but, you know, probably getting up into their, they're driving Tahoes, uh, or, or they've got the special edition version of whatever truck the guys, you know, driving around, or they're even into the Denali version. Uh, what we've done with this little thought exercise is we have narrowed down a perfect little profile for us to immediately send over to Facebook and start doing some Facebook advertising for our ideal customer. That exercise needs to happen before you ever commit to going on your own to do your own business because marketing is the number one most important thing that will either make your business or fail your business. If you do not market yourself, if you think that you're going to get by on word of mouth from your projects, that and don't get me wrong, you can do super, super high quality work. But word of mouth is only going to get you so far when you're starting up. Word of mouth doesn't really kick into where you can kick back and not have to market until you've been around for, you know, 10 to 15 years. You know, you've really, really gathered enough clientele that there's a lot of conversations happening. But when you're initially starting out and you've had 5, 10, 15, 20 projects, that's not enough people to sustain your business. You have to market and you can't just shotgun blast out there because you will blow through your marketing budget in a day. What you've got to be able to do is know going in 
who you are targeting and how much you want to spend to go target those people in order to get those projects. That needs to be done before you ever consider going out on your own. There's a lot of money that comes up front and uh, like you hit a great point word of mouth. Like you have a pickup truck, just a five, $600 pickup truck. Like your word of mouth is not going to sustain that pickup truck plus your personal life. Right. So, a couple things when you get kind of looking into the business and to touch on some of the points we were just talking about, I mean, why do you want to start a business? Is it because you're not happy with your current job? Are you not making enough money? Does it, it, does it just look easier on the other side of the fence? Cause it's really you don't want to work for someone else. That, yeah. It's not always just that easier. Like there's a, there's a 12 different hats that nobody gets to see. And there's a lot of financial burden on the other side of the fence that you don't see until you jump over the fence and you get tangled up to, you know, will your business idea, will it make you money right now because there's such a overflow of work, but will it make money down in the future? Right. What are you going to do in the winter? You know, up here in the North, that's another big question. What are you going to do in the winter? Right. So is it like, are you getting a bunch of work just from this neighborhood and, and you know, you think you're, you know, Tupac rich right now because you're cleaning up house in the neighborhood and then you don't know what you're going to do after this, you know? So there's some stuff like that. Um, targeting our audience for the business is a huge marketing idea that we just talked about. I mean, you can't stress that enough. You got to really know who you're going at. Cause if you just think you're going to open up shop in the dirt field and you're just like, ah, I'm going to buy a lawnmower and I'm going to cut grass there's a million other of them doing the same thing. Right. Yep. And they're all undercutting you for $10, $15. You got to kind of look around. You got to see who your competitors are because honestly, you don't want to be the cheapest person getting into the field. You don't want to be out there <clears throat> charging, you know, $500 for something when the going rates at like two grand, right? You don't want to be charging 500 bucks undercutting everybody. Yeah. You're going to be busy as could be, yeah, but, but you're, you're making nothing. Gonna, it's not worth your time. But you're making nothing because for a couple hundred dollars, you could go to work for somebody and not have all that stress and be burned out because what people don't see is the breakdowns and the cost and the hidden expense of overhead. People don't understand that. You know, you got to be able to market your business. What's your price points? What products are you going to maybe try to sell as like add-ons. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta really understand what you're looking at and you gotta understand simple math. You gotta understand a calculator. Um, the other thing is like when I was getting into it, do you got the funds to start this business? Like I, I wrote a $20,000 deposit, even though I was in business for five years, I wrote a $20,000 check to Mr. Furnace to buy a machine and I had 30 days to make $6,500 personal and business expense. And I had 30 days and I had like a thousand dollars in my bank account. So it was like hopes and dreams. I went and sold a bunch of work. So I kind of knew I had work coming, but it takes balls and it takes fucking big balls to get into doing certain things. So, I mean, you can't, you can't just jump into something and just think you're going to be able to rent equipment forever. Renting equipment's a great idea to get started and doing a lot of side work, but you gotta you gotta understand there's a big difference from doing side work and making a few hundred dollars, maybe a couple thousand dollars, to doing this stuff full time. There's well, there's big there's big gaps. There. Yes, and that's that's kind of where I was going to go too. Is is kind of coming up with your perfect customer. The reason you do that first is because realistically, um, does your customer exist? That's a really big question because what we could do is we could go out there and you need to do some homework on, we just came up with this profile of this customer. But when you actually now take that profile and go out to like Facebook marketing or some of your other advertising tools that are available to you online, um, you're going to start pulling up pools of people. As you narrow down the criteria, Facebook or whatever platform you're on says, hey, this is roughly how many people are in this pool. And one of the reasons I'm actually, it may seem a little back-ass words that I'm having you do your marketing profile before you worry about budgets and everything is because if you get into this and go, hey, my perfect customer is only a pool of 5,000 people in my area, 
that's not enough to sustain a business. You can't go after just five and 5,000 people sounds like a lot of people, except you have to think about in the normal course of life, if we have a pool of 5,000 people, how many of those people actually need dirt work services? Probably not that many. And then narrow it down to of the people that need dirt work services, how many of those people need dirt work services right this second? Well, that's an even smaller pool. So that pool of 5,000 people that could be potential customers, realistically, the ones who are actually looking for dirt work right this second, out of 5,000 people, you're probably looking at four or five people. Like that's not going to sustain yeah. your business. So that's why I'm having you do the marketing profile first is you do need to dive into those statistics and you need to figure out, do I have a sustainable market for what I want to offer to the people I'm wanting to offer that service to? Once you figure that out, you can either say, okay, this isn't going to work and shut it down. Or you can say, okay, this is going to work. Now we need to go to the next step. And I would say the next step is like Rick just said, there is a huge difference between doing something as a side hustle and doing something as your full-time course of employment. And let me just talk about a few of those things. Uh, liability insurance, you got to have it. You know, it's no longer a little side gig. This isn't kind of working for friends of friends and, you know, I'll do you a little favor here and there and we'll, we'll switch some cash under the table. The second you start a legit business, you can't continue to do all of this under the table stuff without having insurance um, and you covering yourself so that you don't get, you know, end up getting fucked on the back end of this thing in some sort of a lawsuit, or if you damage, heaven forbid, you damage a customer's property that you're going to have to pay for, like you've got to be prepared for that. So now you've increased costs right off the bat because now we're having to carry insurance. You're also going to have to uh, start factoring in the fact that, you know, while this is a side hustle, you're getting all of those benefits from your current employer. So healthcare, now you're you're talking. I don't remember how much we just we just priced it out, and I want to say for our family of four, it was going to cost me twelve hundred bucks a month for us to carry insurance. That's cheap, and that's cheap. I mean, yep. in the grand scheme of things, for health insurance, that's pretty cheap. So you you now have to pay for that, and it's okay if you want to go without health insurance for a while. That's a gamble that you got to take sometimes when you start a company, but you've got that as a potential cost. The other thing no one factors in is. Uh, you have to withhold 40% of your earnings for taxes. Now, that's not necessarily saying you're going to pay the full 40% to the government because of the write-offs and everything at the end of the year. But in order to safely cover yourself, out of every $100 you make, 40, $40 of that needs to go into your savings account for your business so that you have your nut covered at the end of the year for taxes. Otherwise, you're going to be fucked. And so that's another thing you got to think about is you're not bringing home like you were when it was your side hustle under the table. You're not bringing home 100% of what you make. You're bringing home 60% of what you make so that you can cover yourself with the other 40%. Um, what Correct. are some other hidden costs, Rick? I mean, there's so many of them that it's hard to think of on uh, the fly, but. When, when you get looking at it all, um, there's, there's a lot of things that add up to running a business, you know. Um, couple quick things of like, how much, how much am I going to be able to get an employee or friend to start working for me on the side? How much is it going to cost me? Cause just a quick, simple math, someone's working $25 an hour during the week and overtime comes for Saturday and you think you're going to get them for a Saturday. You're not going to get them at a $25 an hour rate, most likely. Right. If they're worth something. Right. So you're going to have to pay them a little bit more, like $30 off the books. Right. So there's a couple other extra costs that you're going to start looking at. It's not just, oh, I'm just going to be able to keep this under the table forever. Because when you start getting audited, like I just had to do a self-audit the other day. And then all of a sudden I got another bill. They're increasing it by $1,000 a year. Right? So there's a lot of hidden costs that come into it um, from workman's comp to payroll tax, um, insurances, uh like a dump truck that I got, my single actually don't pay no field tax on the semi. You got to pay field tax. You got the weighted plates. These nuts. Um, got to get these nuts. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All over the place. <laughs> you know, and then then you're just you're juggling money constantly. How much? How much do I have net? How much gross on a job? Where's the profit of everything? How much capital do I need every month when I'm buying? And I'm staging a job constantly because your money's always in rotation, right? 
we'll go you back. Might have ten jobs going on, and you know how much capital are you going to have to have while you're paying your guys, while you're paying for your plates, while you're paying for your diesel fuel, while you're paying for material. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of costs, a lot of juggling that goes on, and then you get the um, liability insurance. You know, you do so much. That's typically like a million dollar policy. I think I run a two million dollar policy, but a million dollar policy I want to say is like eleven hundred for the year. Um, you know, you start getting into like classifications of, am I like a do I can I fall under like a landscaping and light duty excavating insurance? Or anything over 10 feet, does that fall into full-blown excavation? Well, the umbrella is completely different when you start just talking right, about turns. Yeah, yeah, and rates right? rates fluctuate wildly there, too. <laughs> I mean, you can see a substantial step up with, when one little detail of your business changes. Like, for instance, if you're doing road work and all of a sudden you start to dabble in underground uh, you're going to have a massive shock to your system when you look at your insurance rates between normal above ground work versus underground work because of the risks associated with it. Um, but another thing I did want to touch on, go back to your, your labor costs. Cause one thing you didn't mention, I think just cause you you're talking about so many things and, and kind of chugging through them. But, uh, when you're paying $25 an hour for someone to take home in their pocket, that's not yeah. what you're paying for that person to be there. Break break that no. down. So you got when you when you pay someone just a quick quick number, let's just make it twenty five bucks an hour, it's basically costing you almost double. Time you start paying workman's comp, I forget what the percentages are. Unemployment on, insurance. Unemployment. So unemployment tax, how it kinda works when as an employee, you think the employer's making all this money. What you don't see is like, as you take federal taxes, state taxes, unemployment, everything, that employer also has to pay a percentage of that on top of paying you to the state and to the unemployment, to the workers' comp. So when you do go draw, that's how you already been paid for. Yeah, you contribute part of it, but the employer actually is responsible for paying that other half. So it's 25 bucks an hour he's responsible for 20 to 25 dollars an hour on top of you yeah so it's not unrealistic for someone to you know a legit company someone contract them and you know we're going to do time and material and i tell the homeowner well i'm billing you at 95 dollars an hour and they go well you're only paying you know bob 20 bucks an hour 25 dollars an hour well you got to pay bob plus all the other costs on top of it and then bob's got to make you some kind of money Right. So that's not an unrealistic number these days to say, you know, a bigger company's billing ninety five dollars an hour. Yeah. You have so much cost and then like the soft the self edit that I did, audit I just did, <laughs> that was from taxes unexpectedly from last May to this May, out of nowhere, and I have to fill it all out and I think I was about four thousand dollars under from where my workers' cop needed to be. So I'm like, oh, yeah, whatever. I'll just fill this out. Well, they kind of dictate and control what you do off the numbers that you have to provide them. And the next thing you know, they're jacking me up another $1,000 a year. Like, that's a hidden cost that you don't see. Well, you and there's, there's other little costs, too, that you don't even think about. Um, so, for instance, yeah, a QuickBooks subscription. Like, that that's a subscription yeah. that costs you X amount per month. You're going to you're gonna have monthly advertising costs that just need to be run all the time so you have a continued uh, influx of work. Oh, your website. Your website's I mean, going to cost that's you. That's a couple hundred dollars a year just for a website. You know, you're two to 200 to 1000 bucks a year depending on. And that's not including um, the development of the website. That's just no. to maintain the website and host it. Um, Correct. You're going to have just, just to maintain it. You're going to have subscription fees and, and there's just going to be a lot of costs. So uh, it, it occurs to me as we kind of go through this, we're kind of scatterbraining all over the place. We, we've sort of got a direction, but to kind of back it up, um, you do, and, and Rick did touch on this in the beginning, you do need to look at what your motivations are for starting your own company because uh, I don't think you will find a single business owner in existence that would say owning a company is easier than working for someone else. Uh, 
that's just not the case. It is it is far more headache. It is far more work. It is far more stress than collecting a paycheck from someone. Yeah, you got to put up with an asshole boss, but at the end of the day, when that when you know when the job shuts down, you get to go home and you get to turn off. And and I think we should be very upfront and honest with people who are thinking about doing this that you you get to go home and start your second job when you own your own company because you don't you have any choose. Well, you you when don't you have anyone doing your, you, you do. So you get the flexibility to pick and choose on when you're working and when you're off. And you do have that flexibility to, you know, go on vacation with the family, assuming <laughs> that things line up. But at the same time, if we, you know, you do it all the time, Rick, because because we're always trying to organize doing the podcast or doing live oh, stream yeah. or whatever. But when you get off of the job, it's not like you get to go home and just kick the feet up and grab a beer. Now you flip over no. into, I got to be the bookkeeper, which means I got to go through and I got to look at all of my expenses that just came through. And we got to, you know, actually categorize those and make sure everything's accurate. I've got to make sure that my accounts receivable, in other words, money that is coming into you as a business, you got to make sure that's all caught up in an order. And otherwise you got to start addressing that and collections. You have no collections department. You are the collections department. Which means if you ain't got money coming, you got to go hustle and and try to get that money from your from your customer. Um, you've got equipment maintenance, especially if we're talking on the dirt dirt realm specifically. You know, Rick doesn't have a mechanic working for him that's doing oil changes and air filter changes, or even just regular greasing and maintenance on the machines. Like that's one hundred percent him. That's how he spends his Saturdays and Sundays is maintaining the equipment, swapping tires out on trailers, like all of the shit that right now working for someone else, you get to let go and not worry about. When you f go full-time on your company, it's all you. And if it doesn't get oh, yeah. done, it doesn't get done. Well, and you, you, you have 30 days to pay the banker. Like, the banker never sleeps. The clock's always ticking and you always owe the money. Whether you choose to take the day off, you choose to go boating, you're sick, you know, you go on vacation. It doesn't matter. Every 30 days, you have X amount of obligations gotcha, to do. <laughs> so, you know, the 12 hats that I always mention and talk about, and Brian touched on them, you know, the other part is that I'm constantly, constantly bidding work. You know, you might bid a half million dollars worth of work and only get $130,000. Yeah. You know, you're on the, you're on the go bidding work nonstop. You know, I constantly have stuff going down where we are trying to get a podcast or some filming or something going on. And I, and I got to call Brian like today or tell him, Hey Brian, let's do it tomorrow. We can't, you know, I got to pop the hood open. I got a mechanic coming or I just blew some tires the other day going to a job to make money. And it cost me 1200 bucks. Brand new fucking tires just blew out on the road. Um, the lady spilled her coffee, flicked me off. She was mad as shit. I got off the freeway. When I was supposed to be at the job at 8.30 in the morning, I didn't roll in there till noon. We had plans at the end of the day, so I had to pull off early, meaning I didn't get the job done because I blew $1,200 in tires. I got to go back there, and here we are in rain season, not making no money right now. So there's a lot of, <clears throat> there's a lot of moving parts, and then there's a lot of constant. So you got the present you know, that you're in right now working, but you're always looking down the future, looking to see where you can go, what you could do for money. How am I going to get it? Then you got to go back and go through your contracts, make sure that you're all paid up. All your expenses were taken care of. You paid all the um, employees that you're not fighting on the homeowners or builders for your money. Um, you're not asking, you know, like I constantly have, Oh, five thousand dollars to fifteen thousand dollars in rotation on credit to the distributors and suppliers and the fuel supplier. I mean, I'm I'm constantly I build a good credit line and relationship with them. So when I punch the pig and I say, "Hey, I need X amount of material and it's going to cost me four grand," you don't have to write that check and upfront it right then and there or put it on a credit card because you built that relationship with them. When you don't have that relationship and you first start. Ain't nobody going to give you $2,000 in diesel for free Yeah, or give you, you know, <laughs> you go to Aetna Supply and pick up $5,000 in material on a credit line. Like, you have to build those relationships. It's like building 
credit for the first time. It's so effing hard. Yeah. To get there. You got to establish yourself. Yes. Once I get there now, I could call and I could ship myself or call Brian to grab something on a credit of mine or one of my other guys or my wife. And it's there. I call and I know it's going to be there. And they know, you know, when they ship the invoice out that I'm going to pay them in 15 days. So it buys you a little bit of time to keep the money moving because your money's constantly moving. Um, that's the hardest part of running the whole financial thing of the business. Doing the job is one thing. Running a business is a whole different animal. And, and so if you're not if you're not really good with numbers and you're not really good at staring at a homeowner going, You owe me ten thousand dollars or this job's gonna cost you twenty five grand and they want you to do a bunch of stuff for free, you gotta have the balls to say, No. Yeah. That's gonna cost you money. And those are those are How some things new? that you crazy Dutch bastard. <laughs> All the time with homeowners. <laughs> and that's some of the stuff that people have to understand. Every time your machine is doing something that's not an itemized bill, you're not making money, but it's costing you money and you're paying your employee and you're wearing out your equipment when you could be down the road. I mean, there's a, there's a lot more to it. You know, you got Google AdWords and Google is such a huge search engine and powerful. Um you know, you're constantly looking at marketing. You're constantly showing that yourself up to date and that you've got legit insurance, legit licensing. Like I, I've been asked a lot of times from homeowners or other contractors, I get contracted to do some work for them. <clears throat> you know, hey, in order to get paid, you have to legitimate have insurance, right? <clears throat> so I'll, I won't give it to them. I'll have my insurance company sit, ship them over a certification coming from the insurance company it just looks better right and then here's my certification it puts addresses who it is their address everything on it and then licensing okay just because you open a business and you think your business has a license yes it's licensed you're licensed to do business are you legitimately licensed no no you're not your business is open it has a name it has a name and it has a license number do you have a license? Like in the state of Michigan, I have a builder's license. My builder license licenses my company and it licenses me to do work. I can't I can't open a business and not be licensed because by law, you can't collect anything over $500, even as side work. I can't take my pickup truck and go do $1,000 and collect it. By law, you're breaking the law. It happens all the time. Are you going to get caught? Uh, not really. <clears throat> Until you mess something up and a homeowner gets an attorney after you, now you're going to be put through the gauntlet. So my company's license, I'm a builder. My builder license licensed both of us. Something goes down. I have an LLC, not a DBA, doing business as. Doing business as, just that's just you <clears throat> standing there saying, I am going to do business as diesel and iron, or anything outdoors doing business ads. But it's it's Rick. Happens. It's not it's not an independent <laughs> yes. entity. It's you, it's Rick, Rick, saying and Brian. Rick and Brian Correct. are gonna go out here under Rick's name and we're gonna go shovel some dirt for you. Right. But, but if something happens if I swing over Rick, and hit the guy's Mercedes with my shovel, mm-hmm. Rick personally is paying for it with a DBA. Correct. And then you got an LLC, which is a limited liability company that same scenario, someone smokes that Mercedes. I personally am not reliable for anything that happens no more. Yes. Now it is the business's liability. But now your business, your assets, your equity, any money you have is up for grabs. Yes. Right. But me personally, my personal life. And when you're in business, you're doing it to make money and you're doing it to be a legitimate company. And I can't stress you enough to get your licensing correctly, not just open a company with a license, but if you're doing concrete, get a concrete license or excavating license, just get the builder license. It's only like 20 more questions that you have to answer to get a legit license. (laughs) But when you open a business and you get going, you start making all this money, you make money to bring it home, get the money, get the dollar, go after it. Well, 
I want to bring as much money home in my personal account and not leave it all in the business because if something happens and that goes up for grabs, you left $100,000 in the business. $100,000 is up to grabs. And you know how the attorneys work. They suck everything out of anything. Right, right. Right? <laughs> and then go one step further, you could be a S S-corp or C corporation where th- it takes the exposure way down. Yeah, so but then, before we get way deep into that, I, I do want to go back to kind of because we've kind of gone a little far off of a path of where I was where where I was starting at. And I do want to go back to kind of where we were talking about a lot of the hardships of owning a business. I do want to reiterate to everyone and really coming from you as well, Rick, because you're on the dirt side. I, I own a company, Diesel and Iron Productions, which is primarily, you know, video production work. I have the YouTube channel. I have the podcast here. We've got like a bunch of media type things wrapped up into Diesel and Iron Productions. Rick is the one that's doing the like hardcore dirt thing. He is the legit contractor. I just, and that's also Diesel and Iron Productions. I am a subcontractor for anything outdoors, which is Rick. And so Rick Correct. as a business pays me diesel and iron productions as a subcontractor to come work for him. So all that to say where I'm going with this is we want to, it's not that we want to discourage you from starting a company. Uh, owning your own business is super satisfying. It's super fulfilling. It's a big source of pride. It does give you some flexibility. I want to be very specific there that it is somewhat flexible because in a lot of ways you are more flexible than when you're working for someone. But like we just talked about as well, in a lot of ways you're not as flexible because if you want to take a week and a half vacation in the middle of the season, uh, unless you lucked out and got some awesome foreman or someone that's going to cover for you, nothing's getting done in your company because you are the point man. So it's not that I want to discourage anyone from starting a company. I just want to give you a very real and upfront picture of this is if you're wanting to start a a company because you hate your boss and you don't want to fuck that guy. I don't want to work for anyone. uh, That's the wrong reason. And you're going to be miserable and you're going to fail. So I do want to just give you a very straightforward picture. But, you know, talk about some of the positives, Rick, that, that you've experienced owning your own company. Oh, the growth, man. The growth, the success, the repeat customers, the word of mouth, the excitement, knowing like when I walk onto the job, that the reputation and the name that shows up, like these people, they'll wait and they're excited when I walk out there. And when I set the guys up and I do the job, they know that they're getting like a successful job. Like I'm not always your cheapest contractor. And you'll see that on a lot of my reviews and stuff. And you'll also hear those, but you get what you pay for. And we've, we've built a company now that like legitimately a third of our business is taken over other contractors fuck ups. Yeah. Right. Like, look, like look at how many builders call us and homeowners. <laughs> and I drag us into these messes and we're like, Oh my God, I wouldn't have done this or that. And they call us to fix their mess and they're so happy and thankful you build a solid name and like these people when they call they know they're calling a legitimate contractor and the excitement the money is there the people are there um to the free time man some of the free time that i get the the purchasing of newer equipment and just building and compounding like it's just it's really satisfying and rewarding um you don't see it all year long. You see the craziness through the spring, the hustle through the summer, the fall times as you start going down. And then when you get to your books at the end of the year and you see growth, yeah, it's, it's really rewarding. And it's a really positive reimbursement that you're doing something right. And there's no better money than making a living on your own. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the greatest lesson <clears throat> you'll ever have it is it's it's super education and it's super fulfilling like everything you're talking about it's just super fulfilling that that's your baby that you grew from nothing and here it is worth you know whatever it is worth and yep and you'll you'll get people that you'll get people that want to try to merge with you because they see that you're going somewhere and you got to have the balls to say fuck off go do it yourself it's not that easy but like when you started, when you started the side projects and the side hustles, 
and you finally made that jump and you were so scared to jump and you're running with your head cut off and just going all over the place like crazy because you don't know what to expect until you learn to run a business. Once you learn to run a business and successfully, you could almost get your hand on any business and run it because you learn to turn numbers and it's not just doing the job. And that's what's, that's the more fun side of the business for me. It's not doing the work no more. That's so satisfying for me. It's, you know, I got 24 years of experience out in the seats doing this stuff in the gauntlet. My time through that has kind of passed. Like the excitement's not always there no more. What's exciting for me now is when I bid a job and it comes out close to the numbers that I projected or a little better. Yeah. That's exciting because now you're, now you're learning estimating, you're learning how to move business, you're learning how to move money and to start seeing it compound and building capital and building credit for a company that you could potentially sell down the road. Like that's very exciting. And then to have guys constantly, like I'll get phone calls down the road. Hey, are you hiring? And I'll take their number and maybe work them on the weekend or something or fit them in here and there. But to see that you're starting to make an impact and a name for yourself, that's really exciting. And that's really fulfilling for me. And now, now it's to the point, you know, I enjoy the customer interaction because as they call, you know, you'll hear you come really recommended and that's a great feeling because yeah. you're, you got good positive results. You got a good group of guys behind you and everybody's there to bust their ass. And everybody knows at the end of the day, what they're worth, what they're getting paid. And then I'll give them a little extra money here and there for helping us out. Yeah. You know, and you know, buying the guy's lunch goes so far. They're there the next day you need them or the next weekend. If you're doing stuff on the side and that little bit to you, the extra $50 or $80 it costs you to feed a group of six to 10 guys might seem like a lot, but that goes so far with the camaraderie with the guys. And then when they, you text them or you call them and they all show back up to help you the following weekend, they're there because they like you and you're taking care of them and they're making good money. Yeah. And to start building like a good group of guys and kind of take on the work and conquer it. It's just, it's just a glorifying feeling. Like, you're legitimately doing something and you're not, and you're making money, you're making money. And it's just, it's just an unreal feeling. And that's, that's really probably the biggest high you're going to ever get is running a business, not working for somebody else. Um, to compete, like we're competing now with legit big excavating outfits. I'm not a little itty bitty guy. I still do some of the itty bitty work, but you start screening you start screening work and you start looking for certain price points and you start passing on the little jobs. Cause you're dabbling in the bigger jobs cause your company has grown. Yeah. And then you could afford that next bigger piece of equipment or that next attachment or another truck and you can put another body in it. Like that's the exciting part of just seeing the true growth, the hard hours, the busting your balls, the 12 hats that you wear to go in. I could dedicate this job to like when Brian comes out, I could give Brian this hat for the day and I could put a labor out there and I could walk away and only go wear 10 hats and go accomplish some other things. And knowing that at the end of the day, he's done a very good job with the labor, the homeowner's happy. And when you get the check from the homeowner, meaning that the job's complete, that's a satisfying high. That's you know, what they're she paying. Said. <laughs> they're paying because it was a satisfied job and there's nothing better than making more money than an hourly wage. Like, um, a job to me, I always consider a job as I was an employee, the terms just over broke. Right. So right. when you go work for an hourly wage and don't take it the wrong way, cause there's a lot of good jobs, but when you're working for a wage versus working for a check, there's, bigger experiences and bigger satisfaction that you're going to get than putting in a 60 hour week, busting your ass for somebody and you get a check and it's a bomb ass check, but there's nothing more rewarding than putting a couple guys to work and you collect a full blown check 
and start dividing everything out, going back to your computer, breaking everything down. There's nothing better than being successful. It's well, really not. And, and to kind of piggyback on that, another really satisfying thing that you're kind of touching on, you're starting to touch on is uh, as an employee, you're just really going to take care of yourself and whatever money you get, and whatever success you see is really only going to be for your person. But another Correct. really fulfilling aspect of owning your own company, especially when you start growing to the point that you can start to get some employees is being able to provide someone else with a nice lifestyle, you know, being able to, to finally pay that guy what he's worth uh, and, yep. and put really good food on his family's table um, and, and just being able to, you know, we, we talked about on, well, we actually, we talked about on last week's podcast, whether we were about to record, we talked about uh, <laughs> employing ex-convicts. Unfortunately, that file was corrupt. So we're going to have to uh, re-record that one. But, you know, the we ability, I know we, it was, yeah, God, it's so bad. Um, it was good. It was so good. It was good. God dang it. It was good. And, and these you know, guys got some pretty good hosts. They got some pretty good hosts on the microphones here. Yeah. But, you know, not you to, know. you know, we'll pat ourselves <laughs> on the back. We're doing horn. a fine job. So bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for <laughs> so, But all that to say, you know, to, to be in a position to where now you can go out. You're the hiring guy. You can go out and hire a felon or someone who's fallen on rough times and help them out. That is a really rewarding and fulfilling thing to be able to do that you can't do as an employee at a company. So No, and that's, that's, that's the best part about it all is seeing somebody come to work for you and you're feeding another mouth and they're happy. Yeah. And they're satisfied busting their ass for you. Yep. Like, just like you did for somebody else. hundred percent. That is so rewarding. So but we are, I, I think that's a wrap. Well, so I do want to cover a couple, you know, we are getting close to an hour, but I do want to co cover a couple little things. Um, so, so first of all, uh, you were heading down a, a really good vein there with talking about the business. Oh, that's types. right. And so I do <laughs> want to kind of reiterate. So the, if you're just getting going, you got a side hustle, you're doing some side jobs, you're not really all in a DBA doing business as is what that stands for is a great way to get started. It literally requires you going into your financial institution with a form that you can print off of the internet saying that you're a DBA. I think you need to file a little bit of paperwork with your uh, like local municipality, like the county. Um, and then all that is, is it says, you know, Brian is digging holes as diesel and iron productions. It's still Brian, 100%. If Brian fucks anything up, Brian is responsible for that personally. Uh, if Brian avoids paying taxes out of his business, Brian is personally responsible for that. That's a DBA. Correct. It is literally you're just using a different name to do business, but it is you personally doing it. Once you step up and decide you're going to go full time, uh, that's when I would encourage everyone to move into an LLC. And an LLC is... It's different than a corporation, which we'll get into in a second. An LLC only separates you from a legal standpoint. So, you know, go back to our example with me smacking the side of the BMW with a shovel. If I smack the side of that BMW with a shovel, now instead of the owner of the BMW coming and going, Brian, you're going to pay for this out of your pocket. That's where I flip around and go, no, diesel and iron productions is going to pay for that. And if diesel and iron productions can't pay for that and the owner decides to sue, he can only sue diesel and iron productions. He cannot sue Brian Furnace personally. So my cars, my house, for. all of that is safe. The only thing that is threatened are the assets owned by diesel and iron productions. And at the end of the day, this happens quite frequently. This is, you know, this is where you get into the shady side of the business and you get into the dick holes that are out there. But guys will actually fold up an LLC and then immediately turn right around and open another LLC in a different name and continue doing business as that LLC because all of the liability just died off with that old company. I'm, that, is, that is that is 100% unethical. I do not advise anyone doing that. You're an asshole if you do that. But that's... Well, that's, it's called business, though. So. 
it's called well, there's business. there's ethical business and there's unethical business. I want to be very clear about that. There's, you there's can, dirty business everywhere, you, man. You, you that, can doesn't mean you should. So I want to be very specific. I do not condone anyone practicing unethical business practices. Now, from right. an LLC standpoint, you're going to stay in LLC for a while. Because you don't need to step up to the corporation level. The difference between an LLC and a corporation is where we start getting into taxes. At the end of the day, the, the federal government, when you file your taxes as an LLC, the federal government sees that the same as a DBA. So they look at, and I am an LLC. Are you as well, Rick? Correct. So I'm an LLC. Yeah. So when we file our taxes... We file it all together with our personal taxes and our business taxes and the government, the federal government looks and goes, okay, here's Brian and diesel and iron productions, but it's basically Brian. Here's what his personal stuff did. And this is what his business stuff did. And at the end of the day, all of the two of these things put together end up being this. And this is what you owe us on taxes. When you step up to an S corp, uh, that is where you are now a full-blown independent entity. Your company is no longer at all attached to you as a person. So if I don't pay taxes on any of my services I have offered, they cannot go after it. Well, I want to be careful here. The, t- the tax responsibility is on the business Diesel and Iron Productions didn't pay their taxes and the federal government's going after diesel and iron productions. Now, I am sure in some situations that there are ways that they can get around that. But for the most part, an S-Corp, the difference there is you are creating an entirely independent standalone entity. And where you really flip that switch is when you start getting employees, you start growing beyond Uh, just kind of the scope of what a small LLC can do. And there's a lot of companies that are pretty good sized companies that are still LLCs. I mean, if you don't trip all the switches to really qualify, to really need to go the S corp route, there's really no point in doing companies. Most companies are going to be LLCs. Um, It really comes out to like when you want to branch out, you want to be traded publicly um, and that's when you get into you know, a C corp. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're well down the road of complexity <clears throat> there. But you have to keep in mind the second you switch over to an S corp, uh, you know now your tax guy you're paying twice because he's going to prepare your personal taxes and then he's going to prepare your business taxes because they're no longer one entity. So there are a lot of costs associated with stepping up to an S corp. Um, the way your payroll taxes and everything work. Like there's just a lot of things that change when you trip over. And that's why you do see a lot of trades companies, not just dirt, but also, you know, carpenters and plumbers and electricians that even though they're a good sized company with 50 plus employees, they are still an LLC because it doesn't really make sense for them to fully trip over and, and become an S corp. Um, so that's just kind of a super, super abbreviated, you know, what are the different business types? The other thing I wanted to cover on this podcast is, is we kind of got off track, but in the beginning I was talking about coming at it from the road of doing your side hustle, uh, or if you wanted to just go start a company tomorrow and with the side hustle, you know, I'm under the assumption that as you've done your side hustle, you're probably accumulating your own tools, whether, you know, whatever your trade is, you're accumulating your own equipment over time so that you're not using your employer stuff, which you shouldn't be anyway, if you're doing a side hustle, again, going back to that ethical, unethical thing. Um, But over time, because you've got this kind of, you've got this cushy job that you're living off of while you do your side hustle, I'm assuming you're kind of getting your ducks in a row so that when you do finally go full time, you've already invested a lot of the money that you need to in materials and everything. And you've also got kind of a, to an extent, sustaining business. You got a little bit of a runway there with work that you aren't just diving off of a cliff with no income. And so now most people have been accumulating tools for years as they're doing a side business where they just decide they're going to open up. Right. And so the the main point I want to make here is um, you don't have to worry as much about having a financial runway when you go from the side hustle to full time, because most of the time you're kind of transitioning there. It's not you go drive up to the edge of a cliff and then jump off versus let's talk about the other scenario where, uh, you know, I've been doing dirt work my whole life for working for other guys. I'm going to go start a dirt company in a month. Here's here's what I need to do. 
And here is where I give you the advice of if you don't have at least a year's pay to cover all of your expenses for a year in the bank, I would highly advise you do not start a company because statistically the vast majority, I'm not even talking close. It is the vast majority of businesses do not make a single dime their first year. If, if, if they can even break even because you, you're talking about equipment costs up front and you know, in the dirt world, our, our upfront costs are massively expensive Huge. because you're talking, you know, 60 to a hundred thousand dollar pieces of equipment. Um, when you start getting into some of the other trades, your upfront costs might not be as much, but at the same time, you're having to do all of these expenses that we've been talking about. Heaven forbid you're in one of the trades and you're going to have to hire someone to help you out. You're having to cover their wages. And so now you're not the first one that gets paid. Your employee is the first one that gets paid. And then if there's money left over, you get paid. And so all that to say, you know, figure out your budget personally, and then you need to figure out if you have enough money or if you can get enough money in the bank that you can live a full year without getting any money from the business. And you need to have that as your little nest egg in the bank. And you are going to pull off of that. The other thing I'll tell you is uh, now you've got your personal budget and you got your little nest egg set up there. Now you need to figure out what your business budget is. And, you know, when we were coming at it from the side hustle shuffling over to a full business, you've got a pretty good idea of what those costs are going to be of you actually conducting business because you've been doing it this whole time. Um, If you're coming at it fresh and green, I would highly encourage you actually go talk to someone else in the industry who is doing this currently and say, look, what, what do I need? What am I missing here? I know I'm going to have fuel costs. I'm going to have insurance costs. I'm going to have you know, regular maintenance costs. What am I missing? What are those expenses like Rick and I have been talking about that I'm not necessarily aware of? And you need to get a real good idea of where you are on that budget. And then you also need to factor that into your, you know, six months to a year worth of runway because your business needs to be able to function. And I'm really, unless you do a strict service where you don't have to pay for any materials, um, you know, you're going to have to front money for equipment or materials or, you know, whether it's pipe or, or wire or it's it's lumber for a, a framing job or uh, whatever that is, you're going to have to you know, front some of the cost for those materials. And you need to be able to have that money in the bank because the second you don't have any liquid cash on hand, you're sunk. Now I can't go yep. out and, and rent a machine. I can't go get, you know, 400 yards of material delivered to the site because I don't have any cash. And like Rick was talking about earlier, I don't have a credit line established anywhere. Like you're fucked. So yeah. that's all sort of stuff that you need to think through. If you're if you're going to drive to the cliff of, I'm going to go start a business and quit my day job, boom. If you're going to jump to that cliff, you need to make sure that you've done as much as you can to give yourself a nice parachute ride down so that if it crashes and burns, uh, you've got a little time to react because that's the other thing that runway does too is not only does it give you a year to really give it a full shot because in all honesty, it just takes time. No matter what business it is, it just takes time to get it off the ground and running. So it gives you that runway. The other thing it does is you're going to know four, four months out if your business is going to tank or not. And that gives you four, you know, three to four months worth of runway of, I'm going to go apply for another position that, you know, is what I want. I'm not going to go get stuck, you know, getting some bitch job that I hate because I totally ran out of money tomorrow. Instead, it's okay. I've got three months of runway. This clearly isn't going to accelerate. We are going to tank this business. Now I can spend this last three months working off of that savings account trying to find a really good job. You know, maybe you were an operator before in your previous life, before you decided to go start your company, excuse me. And now you've got, you know, and, and be real. Like you just got a huge education. And, and this is something I want everyone to hear. That's thinking about starting a company. Even if your company fails, I started a lawn care company 12 years ago that failed after about, uh, I don't know, 10 months to a year. Um, Yes, it failed, but that's not a personal failure. And you shouldn't think of it as a personal failure. The vast majority of businesses fail because first of all, you know, 98% of the population does not have a business education or a business degree. Uh, Two, 
it is really effing difficult to start a business. And three, you've got a bunch of factors outside of your control that you have to deal with and contend with. And sometimes the the deck is stacked against you. So come away with it knowing that you did get an education. But where I'm going with this is use that education. So if you came off of the job as an operator, and I'll stick with the dirt world because that's what Rick and I know. If you came off of your job site when you started your business as an operator, but you just spent a year running your own company, doing your own marketing, doing your own bidding, doing all of your own job site uh progress monitoring all of that stuff you're having to order materials and and check quantities and uh uh, you know worry about the logistics of equipment moving around guess what buddy that's all foreman shit and so now you can go back and you can start applying to some of these companies and say look i just spent the last year running my own company these were my responsibilities this is what i was able to do with it and go apply for the foreman position and that's what that three, you know, if you if you're smart about it and you leave yourself that little bit in your bank account, now instead of just being stuck, I have to go find a job next week. I'll just take the operator position over here because it's available. Instead, you can say, I'm gonna go hit like eight or nine of these different companies around here, and I'm going to apply for a foreman position. And there's a decent chance, especially right now in our labor market where we're hurting so bad in the trades there's a decent chance they will 100% give you an opportunity to shine and go show yourself. And a lot of times they're okay if you've got the kind of nuggets of experience there, they're okay putting you under another foreman's wing and training you up the rest of the way. So utilize, you know, don't think of it as a failure. Utilize that learning experience and use that to leverage your resume to potentially move up. And that way it's not a failure. You use that to elevate your career. It's still a success. It's not the success in the way that you thought it was going to be, but that's still success. So that's just another piece of advice I want to throw out there to everyone is uh, make sure you cover yourself and you've got that runway, but then be smart about it on the back end. Know, you know, if you if you've got an anchor around your neck and the ship is going down, recognize that don't ride it to the bottom recognize that and then leverage that to try to move your career forward in another way so anything else you want to add to that rick no that's really it man i mean you're starting with experience and you just got to be smart about it all you know i i don't think there's a whole lot more you could touch on what you just said a pretty good point sir well, I'm going to say this is probably a wrap on this one. As always, we really do appreciate you guys listening. If you've got any questions, if you've got any comments, uh, if you've got advice, you know, if you're a current business owner and you got advice, head over to dieselandironproductions.com, click on the podcast tab, and uh, we've got a comment section under each episode. Feel free to throw some comments out. We'll catch you guys on the next episode of uh, Sweat and Grind. Sweat and Grind.